Father in heaven, thank you for a glorious Monday morning here at the Michigan Conference Camp Meeting. Lord, I'm thankful to be here, and I pray that my friends here are thankful as well to be present. Lord, guide and direct our, our time together. I pray that it will be insightful, helpful, and fruitful. And Lord, I pray that uh, your Holy Spirit will be present to oversee this time together. Pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. By the way, since we're just a few of us, uh, let's not hesitate to interact. And uh, this, this, is, uh, the, uh, this is the good thing about being a smaller group. Well, so what would you say is, the, uh, is a good definition of evangelism? Let's start with that. How would you define evangelism? That's a great answer. There might be others. Kathy does not have the, the corner on, on good answers. There might be others as well. I think we've got many aspects. We can, when you're sharing your testimony, too, it's a very easy. Exactly. Exactly. The way we live, it's many aspects. It's called evangel living. Evangel living. That's a good one. Sometimes we, we don't do that as much as we should. Emily, I think you were going to say something. I would say it's anything and everything that has to do with it. Here's how I would define it. My definition does not supersede yours. Uh, I think that everything you said is correct. Uh, here's how I, I see it, and I think it complements to what you've already said. Sharing the good news. Bottom line. Evangelism is sharing the good news. What good news? I would say the good news is Jesus loves you, all people, regardless of what they have done, their background, etc., and He wants to spend eternity with you. That's the good news. And I'm so thrilled that uh, we are, as a church, in the business of sharing good news. Uh, I, I, I opened the news online and all I see is bad news. Fire that kills at this time. They've announced 79 people in, in London. A terrible fire in this 24-story apartment building. Uh, we, 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 we read about uh, another car that uh, rammed a, a group of people in, in London again. I guess the trouble is mostly over there, not here. No, we've got our trouble. We've got our trouble. Um, and it can be depressing, all this bad news. So aren't you glad that we as a church, we deal with good news. We share, we give people hope in a world that seems to be so hopeless. So why am I here? Uh, I'll tell you what, I believe evangelism makes a huge difference. Uh, I'll share this, this quote with you in, your, in the notes that I will be sending you, but I find this in a church manual. It, it's very insightful, and I, I hope you listen carefully because it, it says a lot. Uh, this is page 90 of the Seventh-day Adventist Church Manual, and it says here, The Gospel Commission of Jesus makes evangelism proclaiming the good news of the gospel, just like we just said, the primary function of the church. So what is the primary function of the church? Evangelism. 
Then the church manual continues and says, It is therefore also the primary function of the church board to serve as the chief committee of the local church. Uh, so the, the primary function of the church board, since the primary function of the church is evangelism, the primary function of the board should be also evangelism. How many of you serve on a, on a church board? Okay, so you'll be interested in knowing what, what, what the next part reads. You know what it says? It says, when the board devotes its first interests and highest energies to every member evangelism, most church problems are alleviated or prevented. Praise the Lord. Yes. You know, you go to a church, not your church, obviously, but I go, you know, it, it is written, we work with many, 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 many churches in different parts of the world. And usually what I have noticed, I'll leave a little open. There's a nice breeze. But churches that have problems, division, and conflict are usually churches that are not involved in evangelism. There seems to be always a connection. But churches that are more involved in evangelism, involved in, 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 in all that is related to evangelism, are churches that seem to have less trouble. So, you know, if you want to have less trouble, you know what, uh, what you need to do. I want to clarify... Uh, five big myths about, about evangelism. And uh, this is actually quite important. Number one, myth number one. There's no one left to evangelize. <laughs> there's no one left to evangelize. Hey, believe me, there's some people who really think that, that the church now is all about status quo, maintaining what we have, make sure that, uh, that we have the best programs, etc. But... Uh, but really, uh, you know, people have made up their minds, and, uh, and, and that's it. Uh, there, there's really not much, no, no, don't sit back there. Thank <laughs> you. Come here. Come, come here, my dear sister. All you need to do is add your name and uh, your email address, and I'll send you my notes. Okay so that you don't have to worry about taking profuse notes. You can do that, but you don't have to. So, uh, I, I think the words uh, found in the Gospel of Matthew are still ring true today. And uh, it's found in Matthew chapter 9, and I'll just read just a portion here. Uh, Jesus has been going from village to village, teaching and preaching the Gospel of the Kingdom, just like what we are supposed to do. That's the purpose of the church. That's the purpose of Seventh-day Adventist Christians, and that's the purpose of It Is Written. We're not just, like I said, another program on television just to fill another slot in the morning, Sunday morning uh, menu. It says here, Jesus, verse 36, but when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Let me tell you, when you look around, you go to the supermarket, uh, you go to the gas station, you go to the restaurant, uh, you drive on the road to work and you look at the other people driving to work as well, you see it. You see the same thing. You see people who are weary and tired and confused and uh, something is clearly lacking. 
And that's when Jesus said to his disciples, he said it back then, and I think it applies to us as well today. The harvest truly is plentiful, but the problem is not the lack of people to evangelize. The problem is the lack of people willing to do the work of evangelism. The laborers are few. So what is your name? Mary Wheat. Very good, Mary. This is a, a place where we'll, uh, we'll get to know each other. So we got Olson and Richard and Kathy and Emily and Mary. Beautiful. Good to have you here, Mary. Um, Ellen White adds this. She says, the great mass of mankind are engrossed in the things of this life. By the way, she wrote this in 1882. Uh, and it's like, wow, even back then they were engrossed in the things of this life. If it, was, if it was true then, imagine how much truer it is today. Uh, and divine truth can find no abiding place in their hearts. So she seems to say, listen, there's no one left to evangelize. I mean, that's what she seems to say. But then you've got to keep reading. And yet, all the blessings which the world can give fail to satisfy the wants of the soul. There is a nameless longing for something which they have not, a peace and rest that is not born of earth. All around us are people with a nameless longing. Steps to Christ, she calls this nameless longing in page, uh, page 28. She calls it an inexpressible craving. Inexpressible craving. So nameless longing, inexpressible craving. We've gone to Boston. Boston is, uh, that is, it is written. And Boston, I don't think anyone would confuse Boston as the, uh, as the mecca of Christianity. Boston uh, is probably quite far from that. And yet, and yet, when we did meetings last year in Boston, we found people there with an earnest desire for, for something better. We had a gentleman come to our meetings who, was, uh, who, who, who found the, the handbill, came to the church, and uh, he was a, a PhD in... Uh, what did he do? He was doing research on the brain. So a neuroscientist. And... Uh, and, and, and he came because, just like so many others, he had this nameless longing, this inexpressible craving for something far, far better. So, myth number one, there's no one left to evangelize. That's not true. There's plenty left. Lots left. Myth number two, evangelism is preaching. That's what people will say. When you say the word evangelism, when you say to your church, let's do evangelism, people automatically think, oh, he or she is talking about... Preaching. It's, uh, it's like me when I go overseas and people tell me, oh, United States, that's New York City. Uh, that's uh, Washington, D.C. That's L.A. But hey, hello, uh, United States is much more than that. What about Detroit? What about Saginaw? What about Grand Rapids? What about uh, Ann Arbor? What about New Holland? What about all those cities in the great state of Michigan? That's the United States as well. So uh, preaching is, uh, evangelism is much more than just preaching. Evangelism uh, is, uh, is small groups. If your church is doing small groups, that's evangelism. Uh, Sabbath school is evangelism. Sabbath school, uh, excuse me, Pathfinders is evangelism. 
You know, people don't, don't think of some of the things that we already in, in the church as evangelism. Health expos, Bible expos, uh, you name it. All these ministries that we're involved in, women's ministries, men's ministries, that is all an opportunity for evangelism. So to, to say that evangelism is just preaching is, is not having a broad enough view of what evangelism truly is. So that's myth number two. Myth number three. Public evangelism, now I'm referring to, the, to one aspect of evangelism, and that's the public part, and that's really what we'll be talking about this week, requires a hired gun, a professional. Um, you've got to hire someone to come in, and that person will come in like a knight in a shining armor, riding a white horse, to save your church, to save the community, to preach uh, powerfully, because no one in the church really is capable of doing that. And I think that's a myth. That's a myth. Now, there's no question. There's no question that you know uh, you, you, these individuals who who go from church to church doing evangelistic meetings. I think the Michigan Conference has a, has a conference evangelist, maybe two or three. Uh, there's no question there. They have a special gift. There's no question that Pastor John Bradshaw, who's done over 100 evangelistic meetings, he has a special gift, and many others like him. But it does not mean that, uh, that in order to do a series of meetings, public evangelism, that you need to hire, bring in one of those great speakers. Uh, there are some in our churches who are very capable. I would say uh, pastors should be able to do an evangelistic series. Uh, and many church members are very capable of doing it as well. I, I would say there's two requirements. Maybe I'm simplifying too much, but eh, two requirements. Love Jesus, and thus love souls, because you can't love Jesus without loving other people. The two just go hand in hand. And then have the right tools to do it. Uh, you know, in order to do a series of meetings, you need to have the right know-how and the, the right tools. If you have the wrong tools or not enough tools, you're going to struggle. I'll give you a quick example from my own life. You know, I've got quite a bit of land that I need to, to mow. And so, you know, I can do it with a push mower. But that will take me, I would think it would probably take me easily eight hours or more to mow it all. It would work, but eh. So I got myself a, uh, a riding mower, and I cut down the time to four hours. That's pretty good. And then, by God's providence, I have a zero turn with a 72-inch deck. And that's massive. And uh, suddenly, I'm able to mow my whole place in two hours. So, you know, it's all about the right tool. If you got the right tool, you can do things more efficiently and better and, uh, and, and have better results as well. So uh, public evangelism does not require a hired professional to, to be done effectively. Myth number four, public evangelism is expensive and you need a big venue. People are, churches are afraid of doing evangelism, public evangelism, I should say, because, oh, that's, that's such a huge chunk of our budget. Well, let me just say one thing in response to that. Well, isn't that what the church is all about to begin with? So, but aside of that, it doesn't have to cost an arm and a leg. 
and it doesn't have to be in a big venue. We'll be talking about this uh, in the next few days, but uh, if, if we prepare the right way, you don't need to spend a ton of money to invite people to the meetings. If you have, if you have prepared yourself well, you can have a nice group of guests attending without spending a ton of money. It can be done. And an evangelistic series can be done in a living room. Why not? Uh, if, if, if you have a, a group of people, you rearrange your living room and you've got a half a dozen, you have eight or you have a dozen people there, uh, that's good. There's no reason you need to have a big venue. could be done in your home, in your basement, in your living room. Uh, and it doesn't have to be expensive either. Uh, I, I think we, we are always looking at public evangelism in the same way. Hired person, a big venue, big expense. It doesn't have to be like that. And the results can be just as good. It's all about preparations ahead. And finally, myth number five. That's the big one. Public evangelism doesn't work. Doesn't work anymore. Uh, used to work 50 years ago. That, that was the heyday of public evangelism. That's when uh, uh, an evangelist would come into town, the hired gun, and he would pitch a tent, and, uh, and you'd send out uh, handbills through the whole community, and people would come. You'd get a response of about 10 or more per thousand handbill mailed, and, and, and people would attend, and, and, and you'd have huge baptisms, it worked back then, but today it doesn't work anymore. People have changed. Times have changed. It doesn't work anymore. Have you ever heard that? I hear that all the time. All the time. So, Question. yes. How many handbills would you have to send out to get 20 people? Well, what we'll be talking about, Mary, this week is, is relying less on handbills and relying more on the on the personal evangelism aspect. So, and I'll touch on this. I, will, I promise you we will specifically talk about this. Uh, and, and I think in my answer here, I will kind of touch on this. So, back then, go back 50 years, 60 years. Uh, Mom and Pa get a handbill. There's nothing else to do in the evening. I and mean, there's no, there's no, there's three channels on television. There's no internet, of course. Uh, handbill looks interesting. Look at those beasts, paw. Uh, hey, let's go check it out. It's just, uh, just not far from here. So they go there, and of course, they're like, ah. And many of our Seventh-day Adventist church members today are the product of public evangelism. Or if you're not the product, someone related to you is a product of public evangelism. Am I saying the truth? How many of you know or are connected to someone who came into the church because of public evangelism? Now, same thing with, with me. I mean, I'm, uh, I'm, I grew up in the Seventh-day Adventist church, but my mother, my mother came in because of evangelistic meetings. Uh, so, mom and pa attend, their hearts are touched, they're baptized. And so, you know, that's how many people came to the church. Today, we do the same thing. We mail oodles of, of handbills, 
And instead of having 10 or 20 per thousand, we get maybe one per thousand or often zero per thousand. People do not attend. And, and then people will say, told you so, public evangelism does not work anymore. What does not work anymore is, 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 is just using handbills to draw people to the meetings. In other words, we, we have become a victim of our own success. Because in the past, all we needed to do was just mail handbills, then we assumed that, you know, just continue to just mail handbills and people will attend. And so because of that, we, 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 we've gone down a road that is just not right. Back then, we should have been doing it the right way, just as we need to do it the right way today. And the right way is you need to plan and prepare well in advance, build relationships with people, so that when you do your meetings, uh, you know, the handbills complement the people that you are already inviting. Let me, let me walk you through, through that. I'll share with you that the only way that public evangelism will work and does work is if we follow Jesus' method. And this is nothing new. You've heard this quote from Minister of Healing many, many times, and it applies very well here. This is found on page 143 in Ministry of Healing. It says here, Christ's method alone will give what? True success in reaching the people. And notice what Ellen White says next. The Savior mingled with men as one who desired their good. He showed his sympathy for them, ministered to their needs, won their confidence, and then at the very end, he said, he bade them, follow me. So you see, Jesus did not start with, follow me. He started with other things ahead. He mingled with them. He desired their good. He built a connection with them. He showed them sympathy. He met their needs. He won their confidence. And then after all of these steps, finally he said, follow me. But sometimes we as a church, we, we don't follow these steps. And we go right to the follow me. And when people don't follow, we say, well, you see, it doesn't work. There's no one left to evangelize. And, and, and all those myths are then believed when there's no truth to them. So let me use this illustration. I think this, this is a good one. A friend of mine shared this with me, and uh, I think it makes sense, and I think it will help you to really grasp what I'm saying here. Uh, think of it like this. If you own an aquarium, how many of you here own an aquarium? How many of you have ever owned an aquarium? Okay, so you may relate well to this. And so you go to the pet store and you buy a fish. And you bring this new fish to your tank. Do you just dump the fish into the tank? If you do this, the fish will go, ah! It will be in shock and probably die. So what I've been told is you need to help acclimate it to the new tank. So first thing you do, you take the bag, still sealed, and you put it in the water. Because then it helps in terms of the temperature, making sure that, that uh, the temperature in the bag and the temperature in the tank is the same. Then what I've been told, 
I'm no expert in this, but uh, someone told me how it works. Then you open the bag a little bit and you let some of the, the tank water go into the bag. And then you wait for, I don't know how long, but a little while later you add more water. So it's, it's, it's really a slow process until finally the fish feels comfortable with the temperature, feels comfortable with the, the water, and then you can just dump the fish completely in the tank. But it's, it's a slow process, and it's called acclimating. acclimating. Well, that's the same thing when we do evangelism. Uh, we, we can't just jump right to and, and shock people. We need to pave the way. There is a progression. We see it here with the fish. We see it in what Jesus did. There is a progression. And when we follow this progression, we will then enjoy successful public evangelism. Um, we call this pro progression, and I'm sure Emily knows the term well, because uh, having attended Emmanuel, they better know the term well. It's called the evangelism cycle. The evangelism cycle. And uh, it's, uh, it's a little bit like the harvest cycle. I think uh, being here in Michigan, I've noticed as I was driving here from Grand Rapids, there's a number of farms along the way. There's a lot of farmers here. A lot of orchards, and people understand the term harvest cycle. How many of you have been involved in farming one way or another? It's like the garden cycle as well. So if you've got a garden, you understand it as well. So what are the, some of the aspects of, uh, of the harvest cycle? And then we'll compare it to the evangelism cycle. First, the farmer at the beginning of the year, what does he do? You're a step ahead. Hmm? Yeah, that's the same thing as preparing the soil. Before the preparing the soil, the farmer has to prepare himself. And what I mean, I was just in Moldova a few months ago. And, uh, and there in the winter, just like in Michigan, it's very, very cold in the winter. And, uh, and, but when it starts warming up, that's when they go out and start their work. And what they must make sure, because they've got to make sure everything is working order, they prepare their equipment. They make sure the tires are, work, are, are you know, just the way they need to be, and the engines have been serviced, uh, their tractors. And they want to make sure that they are ready, because once the season starts, they cannot afford the tractor to break down, and, and that could be a huge problem for, for farmers. So they make sure that their equipment, that they are ready, they have the seeds, they have everything ready so that when it's warm enough, they do not waste a moment. So first, prepare yourself. Then, Kathy, prepare the soil. I mean, that's the next thing. You want to make sure the soil is ready. And after the soil is prepared, what comes next? That's, uh, that's pretty obvious. You've got to plant the seeds. And after that, you have to take care of the seed, cultivate. And after that, when you've done all of that work, which is quite a bit of work, the farmer will do the, the harvest. And after the harvest, it's not over yet. Then he has to preserve. He has to preserve. He has to take care of the harvest. And then people think, well, that's it. It's not. Because when you're done with all that, guess what the farmer does? Starts all over again. Starts all over again. Just when you think you're done, you're not done. You start all over again. 
a great harvest doesn't mean the farmer says, well, guess what, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a year off. Can't afford to do that. And as Seventh-day Adventist Christians, we cannot afford to do that either. So that's the same thing. We follow the harvest cycle. We follow what we call the evangelism cycle. Sure, sure. Uh, we have estimated it's between 12 and 18 months. So a good time to actually start the evangelism cycle, as, uh, as I see it, it's the new year. Uh, you start at the beginning of the year, and, and it's a good time to, to just prepare yourself spiritually. It's a good time to, to have, like the church has done over many years, 10 days of prayer. It's, it's a good time to just get in the right mode at the beginning of the year. And then uh, as the year progresses, you just uh, progress through the cycle one step at a time. Now, that does not mean that as you progress that you stop the spiritual element. That, that continues all the way through. But I think at the beginning of the year, it's a good time to have a special emphasis as a church and, of course, as individuals in, uh, in, in really starting the year the right way. Um, I'll come back to that. Um, When we fail to follow the, uh, some type of cycle, and then we do our meetings, we do the harvest, and we say, ah, oh, look at that, no one came to the meetings. And we say, we didn't have any baptisms. It just doesn't work. It's like the farmer who, uh, not a, I, I mean, I, I'm insulting farmers here by do, saying that. It's like the dude who thinks he's a farmer. He goes to his field with his tractor ready to do the harvest and there's nothing there. Just dust and dirt. A farmer, a real farmer comes along and, uh, and says, hey, what's happening? And the guy says, man, I tell you what, farming doesn't work. Kicks the dirt. Farming doesn't work. Wise farmer says, well, okay, what did you sell? So? You know, that's the same thing here. In, uh, in public evangelism, we, we sometimes get very critical of public evangelism, but it's the same principle here. If we don't sow, if we don't prepare ourselves, if we don't follow the cycle, then it's, the problem is not the harvest. The problem is, is the lack of work that wasn't done beforehand. Um, so let me, let me quickly walk you through that. In uh, What time are we done here? Uh, 10.45? Okay, good. I was getting nervous here. That, uh, 10.45. Uh, let me just say this. There's no shortcut to, to success, to lots of baptisms, because I believe that there's no reason that your church, that any church, cannot have a steady flow of, of baptisms every year in a church that is growing, in a church that starts having parking problems, space problems, Sabbath school problems, because we have too many children. Those are the problems we should be having. When you do evangelism the right way, then you will have those problems, and those are the kind of problems you want to have. You want to have. There's no shortcut to this. 
You know, it is written, doesn't come here and tell you, okay, let's close the door and let me share with you this, this secret. No one else knows, but there's a shortcut to do this. There's no shortcut. Uh, it's, it's hard work. It takes commitment. It takes sacrifice. It'll take some money as well. You know, I, I know I said earlier, it doesn't have to be an arm and a leg, but to say that it doesn't cost anything is foolishness as well. There, there's some investment necessary, but it doesn't have to be... Uh, an inordinate amount of money for handbills, uh, we should be spending more money on, on how to, to till the ground and, uh, and sow the seeds so that when the harvest comes, we'll have a whole lot more. I, uh, just uh, about a year ago, just over a year ago, it is written was in Zimbabwe. And uh, if you know anything about Zimbabwe, pastor there has like 30 churches, 30 churches, the church there is growing leaps and bounds, just as it is in the Philippines and other parts of the world. And people will say, well, you see, you just put a baptistry and people rush to it. It's just they can't help themselves. You know, that's in that part of the world. But hello, Eve, come back to reality, come back to the United States. Those types of things do not and cannot happen here because you put up a baptistry and people are not interested. It's, it's not in our culture. It's not in our mentality. And I'm saying to you, I sat at the feet of pastors there and they taught me. They took me to school. And, and here's what they said. Eve, the reason we have so many baptisms is because we work. There's no shortcut. We work. We work, we go into the field, we connect with people, we knock on doors, we make friends, we, we, we work. And when you have the whole church working, then you will have results, and you will have lots of baptisms, and the church will grow. It's no different there than it is here. In the Philippines, the same thing. I was just there a few weeks ago, and, uh, and that's what I observed. The church members and the pastors are committed to the work of evangelism, the whole evangelism cycle, and the church is growing there. Not because you just put up a baptistry and it acts like a magnet, people can't help themselves. It's because people are working very, very diligently. Give you an example. Back in Zimbabwe, so uh, we, we were asking them, so what are you doing to connect with people? Oh, they said we have about 33 going into the community. 33 what? 33 teams of three people scattering throughout the community. And they're doing this uh, for, for days at a time, just, just visiting and connecting with people, letting them know that, uh, that they have friends that care for them in their eternal future. So let me tell you this. I think that if our churches embrace this type of mentality, we're going to see some huge differences. Uh, but unless we do this, we're going to keep spinning our wheels and getting nowhere. Here's what Ellen White says. This is Christ's Object Lessons on page 35, talking about the work that needs to happen before the harvest. She says, But to a harvest to be gathered after, after patient toil and through losses and disappointments. I'm just reading the last part there. The point here is the harvest comes as a result of patient toil and, and along the way, uh, losses and disappointments. We are, you are going to have uh, setbacks and you're going to have some disappointments. People that you thought were going to come through are not going to come through. Uh, it happens, but it uh, doesn't mean that what you're doing is wrong. It just is part of, 
the, the territory. I mean, you take a farmer. Believe me, uh, farmers go through losses a lot. Uh, you know, there's too much rain, or there's not enough rain, or there's some other devastating thing that happens. So farmers know all about it, but does, does that mean they stop following the cycle? Well, you know, it doesn't work. No, they keep at it. And along the way, they will and have success. It's the same thing here. Let me read another one. Manuscript chapter, not manuscript chapter, it's manuscript 24, uh, 1887. She says this, and this is, uh, it's a longer quote, but it's worth reading it, and I'll make sure you have it as well. It is essential to labor with order following an organized plan and a definite object. So if, if we're just doing something without a plan, uh, we probably will not have the results that we, we would like to have. No one can properly instruct another unless he sees to it that the work to be done shall be taken hold of systematically and in order. So when you look at the, the evangelism cycle, there is a purpose, there is an order, there is a plan that ultimately leads to the climatic event called public evangelism called the harvest. Without following the plan, you're doomed to failure. Uh, well-defined plans, she continues, should be freely presented to all whom they, they may concern, and it should be ascertained that they are understood. Then require of all those who are in the head of the various departments to cooperate in the execution of these plans. If this sure and radical method is properly adopted and followed up with interest and goodwill, it will avoid much work being done without any definite object and much useless friction. I mean, that essentially says it all. So as board members, most of you are church board members, you know, it behooves on you to, to, to share with the board some of the things that we're talking about here. Uh, God wants us to succeed, but there needs to be a plan to be followed. Then success will take place. So let me go through quickly here uh, the... the uh, the evangelism cycle. For some, it's like, oh, I know it already. But again, without understanding that, uh, to just jump ahead and talk about public evangelism is, is kind of jumping ahead without understanding what sets up good, good public meetings. So number one, number one, personal preparation. I think that's what is most important. Before you get going, just stop and spend time with, with Jesus. Uh, you, look at, uh, you look at Paul, before he got going as a missionary, then he spent time in solitary uh, devotion before God. He went to Arabia and just, uh, he, he didn't jump and get going. He, he stopped and he needed to take care of, of some things first. Um, uh, so it, it, it's, it's following a good counsel here. Um, the disciples, what did they do? Uh, they spent 10 days in the upper room before they really got going, before the Holy Spirit came upon them. So I would recommend that uh, for your own personal preparation, there's good books to read, the Bible, but I would focus maybe on the book of Acts. The book of Acts has, uh, has a nice way of just inspiring people because uh, the miracles that you see there are the miracles that God is ready to fulfill in, uh, in the 21st century as well. Acts of the Apostles... 
uh, the book by Ellen White, the book Evangelism, Christian Service. These are all excellent books that as you read, they will inspire you and they will, they will I think, uh, draw you to activity. Um, this is also a good time to, to seek training. And uh, let me talk to you about training a little bit. You've come here for training, uh, but uh, it is written has created something that I believe uh, could be and is very useful. Uh, we call it SALT 365. Have you ever heard of SALT? SALT is, uh, is, it is written's Bible Work School. So it's the equivalent of Emmanuel, except it's, uh, it's, it is written's uh, Bible Work School. And SALT stands for Soul Winning and Leadership Training. Salt. And, uh, and of course, we know that we are to be the salt of the earth. Now, Salt 365 is, uh, is a component of salt. And uh, we call it 365 because I believe, we believe that God wants us to be His disciples 365 days a year. But also, we believe that people should have access to training 365 days a year. So, what we have done, it is written, we have created online training. And uh, so at any time you can tune into this. Everything that I'm sharing here, everything that I'm sharing here, you can actually uh, uh, hear it uh, online. You can turn, tune to it anytime you want. And it tells you there exactly how to Thank get you. to it. It's, uh, I don't want to leave you out here. That would be terrible. Uh, saltevangelism.com. So you go to saltevangelism.com. And uh, it takes you there. Let's see if I can, if I can, br can bring it up. I told her, oh, she took, I can. Do you think that while you're doing that, do you think as we uh, near the close of Earth's history, that there will ever be public evangelism that does not go through those steps? I'm, I'm just, you know. Mary, I believe that uh, that's very possible. Very likely, actually. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll put it this way. Uh, and I'll use it as written as an example. There is millions of people watching It Is Written and watching other Adventist media ministries as well. And I believe that these people, God is preparing them for something bigger and better. And there will be, there will come a time when, when things are really happening in this world that they will come to us, and they will, they will want to be part of the church family. So there's no question that there will be a time when, when this will happen. But in the meantime, because I don't think we have quite reached that moment. In the meantime, here's the thing: uh, people more than likely are not going to come to us. I wish they would. Uh, something will have to happen for them to come to us. And that's coming. But uh, right now, people are not coming to us. So it means that we as church members need to go to them. We need to find them. We need to find the people who are watching It Is Written, who are watching 3ABN, who are watching the Hope Channel, who are... Who are who, are, who have this, remember I said, inexpressible craving, this nameless longing. They're, they're all over, but we have to find them. We have to, to go to them. And how do we do this? I'll be talking about that tomorrow and the next day. But uh, there's ways to, to find people and to draw them into the church. 
It would be nice if, we, if they would just come to us. But uh, reality is we're not quite there. So anyway, this tells you how to get on, and I'll, I'll quickly show you tomorrow as well. But we have... It's about 30 to 45 minutes each session on a multitude of topics. So if you're wondering how to find people, how to, how to give Bible studies, how to deal with objections, uh, how the evangelist cycle works, uh, I, I mean, the, the, the topics are just so, so varied. Uh, so you just look through the menu and you say, oh, this is something that I'm interested in. I want to learn a little bit more. And so we, we have provided training. We have guests who come in who have expertise in different areas. And, uh, and we have tons of people watching this and saying, boy, this is so, so very helpful. You can, you can watch it by yourself. You can watch it with a team of others who are interested in doing evangelism. Uh, you can show it at church. It's, uh, it's, it's Psalm 365, and I think you will appreciate it very, very much. So keep this little card handy, and uh, you can turn to it, tune to it anytime you desire. All right. Uh, let me continue here. So that's part of preparing yourself. Uh, that's number one. Number two is uh, soil preparation. What soil preparation is, the way I define it, is making people aware that there is such a thing as a Seventh-day Adventist church. It's amazing. We, we think everyone knows about us. I, and Maybe a lot of people do, but I can guarantee you most people do not. Uh, your church may be on the main street, and you think people know we are here, and they may be driving to work and back home every single day past your church, and then you do a survey, and you'd be surprised to know that most people, oh, there is a Seventh-day Adventist church? I didn't even know there was a Seventh-day Adventist church. Uh, I thought that was a Latter-day Saints church. I mean, stuff like this. Uh, so we really have a job to make people aware that there is such a thing as a Seventh-day Adventist church, and we are more than just people who worship on Saturday, who don't eat meat, who have maybe some peculiar uh, idiosyncrasies as the world may look upon us. We are a people who care for others. We need, we have a job to make people aware uh, of the Seventh-day Adventist church. That's all about you know, building that runway that leads to public evangelism. If people are aware that we are a good group of people, caring people, they're more likely when we do have meetings to step into our church. Give you an example here, a quick story that someone told me a few years ago. So there's this husband and wife traveling across the United States from east to west. And it's Friday, and they decide we're going to stop in this town, in this city, and we know there is a Seventh-day Adventist church. They have an idea where, but they're not sure. But no worries. On Sabbath morning, we'll ask someone, and surely they'll be able to tell us where it is. Now, this is in the days before online, internet, before GPS. This is the days when you still used a map. Do you know what a map is? I'm I'm picking on young people because my kids, I don't think they know what a map is. They, they always pull out their phone. Yeah, Google Maps, right, left. But there's something called a map, paper. So they followed the map to the town. 
they, they, they stopped Friday night, they got in their car after dressing for church, and they went to the nearest gas station and said, hey, can you tell us where the Seventh-day Adventist church is? And the person says, Seventh-day Adventist church? Oh, never heard of it. I've, no, don't know. And they went from gas station and store to store, and no one could tell them that there was a Seventh-day Adventist church. So finally, they run into someone who says, well, actually, maybe, I think, and they gave him direction, I think, yeah, there's a church, I think it is a Seventh, Seventh-day Adventure, uh, Adventist church. So they followed directions, you know, up the street, turn at the tree right, and up the long driveway, and they finally reached the Adventist church. They were late for Sabbath school. They walked in, they sat in the back, and the Sabbath school teacher was in the midst of an energetic study explaining how in the end times, in the end times, we're going to have to go and hide. <laughs> couple looks at each other, and they say, you know, they don't have far to go. No one knows they're here. And uh, that's, I think, the plight of many of our churches. Uh, people just don't know that, that we're here. And so, you know, we need to do stuff in our communities. And I think we're, in some ways, many churches are doing better in that area. Tomorrow I'll be talking about some of those bridge-building events that we ought to do in our churches. Not, not because we're, you know, trying to, to make them Seventh-day Adventists. That comes later. But we're just building relationships with people in our community, making them aware that there is such a thing as Seventh-day Adventists. And Seventh-day Adventists are good Christian people who care about their neighbor, who care about their health, who care about their well-being. We'll talk about that tomorrow, bridge events. So uh, as, as you do this, of course, you're building a database of people because people who come to church, who attend some of your programs, it's a shame if you don't take, keep track of who they are, just like I'm keeping track of you. And uh, since... No, 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 there you go. You know, it's, I, I want to know who's here. This here is Richard, this here is Kathy, Emily, Olson, and Mary, and you are? Angie. Angie and? Kendra. Angie and Kendra. See, I'm, we're building a relationship here. I'm Eve. And we get to know each other. And, uh, and what happens to this list is I'm going to send you all the notes for today. And I'll do that tomorrow and the day after. I'll keep sending you the notes as you keep attending. Uh, same thing with people attending our bridge events at our churches. We want to make sure we know who they are and we connect with them. And we let them know that they are appreciated. And we're glad that they've been coming to some of our uh, special events at the church. That's all part of, of, uh, of soil preparation. But after that comes something else. And it's called seed sowing. What's seed sowing? Here's what I define it. It's connecting with people who have this inexpressible craving, this nameless longing, and inviting them to study the Bible for answers. See, there comes a point when you just simply need to find people who have that, that desire. So let's say you have that, that database of people who've been attending diverse programs at your church. Then you need to take a next step and, and, and say, hey, 
by the way, would you be interested in digging into the Word of God? You have to ask. Let me tell you, if you don't ask, you'll not have results. If I didn't ask, I wouldn't be married today. Right? I mean, I had to make the, ask the questions. Sweetheart? And she said yes. I made sure she said yes. <laughs> but the point here is, if we don't ask, you will never know. And people, most of them, there will be exceptions. Some of them will come to Olson and say, you know, we'd like to study the Bible with you. But most people won't. You have to do the ask. And nine out of ten will probably, will probably say, eh, not right now. It's all right. And that's okay. You continue your relationship with them. Don't press them. But one out of ten who says yes, praise God. Then there's other ways of finding people who have this nameless longing. I'll talk about it tomorrow. Great ways of building that, that connection with people and studying the Bible with people, and that's seed sowing. And then comes cultivation. Because once people say yes to Bible studies, then what comes next? Giving them Bible studies. Here's what happened in a church. Nameless church in a nameless state. Because we do not want to reveal... Too much stuff. So this church did a mailing, inviting people for Bible studies. You know, they re people received a card, and people responded, and they had a tremendous response. I mean, tremendous response. They had over a hundred cards returned to them. People having checks saying, "Yes, we are interested in Bible studies." And so they they brought this out to church. And they shared the good news with the church family. Look, we have over 100 people saying yes, they want Bible studies. And everyone said, hallelujah. And then they took those cards and put them in the back office and forgot about them. Six months later, someone, hey, those cards. So they decided to start following them up. And when they did, person after person said, you're just too late. You're just too late. Uh... You didn't respond, and then afterward came, uh, came uh, the Mormons, and boy, I tell you what, what a great message they have. Great message. Oh! After you've done the, uh, the cultivation, of, come, of course, comes the harvest, and we'll be touching this big time with Pastor John, and that will be uh, on, on Thursday and Friday, but also on Wednesday. The harvest is, of course, the public part of the, the, the whole cycle. And then, uh, and then, of course, what follows the, the harvest is harvest preservation. You know, often people will say, you know, people who come in the front door, they leave the back door, and some of them just leave the front door, as a matter of fact. We lose so many people who come to our meetings. Do you know why we lose a lot of people? I'll, I'll give you one simple reason. We haven't built the relationships ahead of time. You know, the people that you are connecting with and giving Bible studies who come to the meetings, who make a decision, do you think they're likely to leave? Of course not. They've already connected with you for weeks and months. So the best way to preserve our gains is to make sure we follow the cycle ahead of time so that when people come, we already know them, we're already connected with them, they're already our friends, and they're not going to go anywhere. They already trust you. The people who usually leave are the people who simply come as a result of the handbills. But those, during the meetings, we can also and need to really work to connect with them as well. Uh, again, we'll talk about this another time.
because time is up. And number seven, we repeat the whole cycle over again, over again. And a church, let me tell you a secret here, a church that follows the cycle year after year after year is a church that's going to get better and better at it and is going to grow every year a little bit more than it did the year before. The first year you apply the evangelism cycle, I guarantee you, you'll sputter. I guarantee you some people in your church will say, ah, but that's okay. Don't worry about the whole church is not going to be on board. Just have a few who are willing to invest into this. And as success is seen, because success breeds success, people will want to be part of this. And every year you will see that, that this whole thing will continue to grow and grow and grow. But it takes work, it takes commitment, it takes sacrifice. And uh, God is calling you to do just that. And with that, we're done. Any questions? Don't miss tomorrow, because the best is yet to come. This was just the intro, just to whet your appetite. We're going to have fun tomorrow at 9.30. God bless you. I'll send you some notes this afternoon so that uh, you have everything. Everything I have here, I will make sure I send it to you. Okay. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. I, I know I just it was a flood of information but I hope it was helpful. I hope it was inspiring. I hope it was motivating. I hope it was energizing. Lord, this is what the church is all about. It's about doing this kind of work. And uh, Lord, I'm excited to know how, how Richard and, uh, and Mary and Kathy and Olson and, uh, oh, help me out in the back, Emily, yeah, Angie. Angie and Kendra, how they're going to do this in their respective churches. I believe that uh, you're calling them to something great and wonderful and awesome. So, Lord, give us a good remainder of day here in, at the Michigan Conference Camp Meeting. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www dot audioverse dot org.